0: I welcome to majority rights radio an interview with dr Tomislav Sunik, but first galaxy 500 another day Hello? Hello. Good morning, yes, Dr. Uh, yes. Sunik.
1: Oh, good morning. How are you doing? Good afternoon, rather, from Croatia.
0: Yes. It's interesting that we live on a globe and that the time is different in different places. I I think Indeed. probably all of our listeners are aware of this, though, already.
1: Yeah, we li- we live in, in crowded times, to put it more philosophically, so <laughs> no wonder it happens.
0: Yes. Well, a- actually, it's been around for a long time, but... Uh, Welcome, welcome to uh, Majority Rights Radio, and this is kind of a special show. In that, it's a first for us. uh, It's the first time we've had a a recurring guest, uh, a guest who has been interviewed on Majority Rights Radio, appear for another interview. With, you know, the minor exception of some people from Majority Rights, the site itself, who've been on once or twice. But uh, this is the first time we've had an outside guest come on for a second time. And um, so it's a very great honor for you that we've... No, no it's not really. I'm just, I'm just kidding. It's an honor for us to be talking to you, as always.
1: Well, thank you very much. It's my privilege, and I'm very grateful indeed.
0: In, and in fact, your status, your star burns even higher in the heavens than it did when we did our first interview a few short months ago, at which time you were a famous international... Diplomat, ex diplomat, uh, a professor, an author of a lauded book against democracy and equality, <laughs> um, which was written in 1990, I believe, or published. Uh, but now you have another book out, Homo Americanus, which is a, uh, as I understand it, a uh, de Tocqueville-esque um, stab at the heart of the overinflated American self-image. And you have this, this book that's published, so now you actually have two books out. And so that we, we should be twice as grateful that you're talking to us.
1: Thank you very much, indeed. Oh, you want me to say a few words about the book itself? Well, in fact, it's been a product of uh, of a work that took me quite some time, and uh, I don't know if you have any specific questions about it. It deals, of course, with the America and Americanism, and what exactly America and uh, Americanism mean.
0: Could you, um, ju- could, could you start by talking about its relationship to de Tocqueville's book? Because that's famous, and because uh, this is actually rather common, that a man writes a book which, you know, a European comes to America and writes a book that is in some way an homage to de Tocqueville, or takes off from his project. I mean in the Atlantic a few years ago there were some Frenchmen who came to America and wrote you know uh-huh. so is your book really related to De Tocqueville and could you just start out by talking about that
1: sure by all means I'm glad that you raised this question because at the very end in my conclusion and the title of my conclusion is the oddity of American democracy I do quote I think two or three three times uh, Alexis de is Tocqueville and his uh, his insight into the American mi- early American mindset, in fact, into the early concept of democratization as it was once lauded, as it is still lauded in the United States of America. So, as yes, you may certainly recall in his book, had some severe uh, doubts about uh, the development and the future of American democracy and this uh, rising tide of egalitarianism and the majority oppression against the minority. So these are some of the issues that are prevalent in my book, and as you've well said, in fact, I'm I'm quoting uh, Tocqueville at the very end, but I'm dealing with this issue, and by and large, I'm using this, if I may, if you allow me, I'm using this concept, not the word itself, but the concept of Americanism and Americanization for the, as almost as a synonym, uh, under quotation marks, for this massive uh, rise of egalitarianism and the belief in progress which has been the standard feature of both liberalism and communism and I guess I could develop on that but it's a very very large topic
0: Um, we're looking forward to you doing that as much as we have time to do
1: uh, well, let me just tell you. Let me just, in a few minutes, let me give you a brief uh, idea of what the book is all about, and I will just cite you real briefly some of the titles in you know, of my chapters. The first chapter deals with Americanism and anti-Ameri- anti-Americanism, and I'm trying, particularly in this chapter, to to develop this whole theme and what exactly is anti-Americanism, what Americanism means, and how do we actually perceive anti-Americans, and how do they self-perceive themselves. I, uh, um,
0: in other words... Y- wait, wait, are these anti-Americans in America or anti-Americans... Right.
1: <laughs> in America itself. In fact, you'd be surprised how many... Again, I'm using those words under quotation well, marks. Well, I, I might not be surprised,
0: <laughs> actually. Well,
1: take, for instance, uh, Mencken. Take, for instance, Ezra Pound. Take, for instance, uh, Ambrose Bierce. Take, for instance, uh, um, uh, this great poet and the great uh, st- short story writer... Um, uh, what's his name I'm, I'm I'm just on the tip of my tongue and I'm quoting him quite often in fact the Menken, for instance in the early 30s and late 30s was quite critical of homo bubus as he calls him in um, fact I.
0: you know what's fascinating about those authors that you just brought up absolutely yeah. fascinating uh which which is that uh, probably most of our listeners don't know that uh Alex Linder at Vanguard News Network is I would say Mencken is probably the man he most looks up to, or the writer he most looks up to. Uh, and he also likes Beers and uh, those others you mentioned. And, in uh-huh. fact, I don't know how, how close a connection you have with him, but he does promote your book on his site. He, I saw a review of it Uh Oh, I'm pleased yesterday. to hear that. Yeah.
1: I'm pleased to hear that, and I'm glad that you mentioned his name. I don't know him but in did you person. Did you,
0: know, did you know that he was into Mencken and Beers?
1: Oh, I didn't realize that he was uh, that. I certainly it goes to his credit because I admire political activists who don't just rehash. He and be re- Manke,
0: He wants to write like Mankin, essentially. I mean, this is oh, then, he looks then up please, to Mencken and emulates him.
1: By all means, do recommend me. Do put in a word and please do tell him to get in touch with him because these are, if I can just put it in in, in, in parentheses, I I have a deep admiration for individuals. Uh, if uh, other than their political militancy, whatever they are, if they're left or right, I don't care. If they have some literary arsenal and background behind, if they, they are well you versed didn't know in that. About him. Unfortunately, I did not, and I'm very glad and I'm very impressed and I'm quite intrigued now with what you're saying about him because I usually look at someone's identity card, if I may, by how many books and how many authors he has read. And given the fact that apparently he's well, well-versed well in Menken and ap- apparently, I presume, also Jack London, who's also my favorite, and D. H. Lawrence and, and this great... Um, uh, do remind me of this gentleman. I'm constantly quoting him every day, not Ezra Pound, oh. but the other guy. No, no, not Calhoun, but I'm also quoting Poe? him. George Poe?
0: How about Edgar Allan Poe?
1: Edgar Allan Poe, of course, Edgar Allan Poe. Is that who is you great. were trying to think of? Absolutely. I quote him in my book on many occasions. So believe it or not, just if I can make another digression, these folks are, believe it or not, more anti-Americans than what we you know aggressively sometimes call anti-Americans in Europe. Well, Those I, I, I do believe it, actually. Yes, and that unfortunately—and let me just if I may just finish up this phrase—this is something we have to deal with because I'm I'm strictly rejecting this primitive anti-Americanism, which unfortunately I must say is sometimes quite uh, quite prominent uh, even among some of my colleagues in France. And I usually, when somebody starts, you know, just repeating and rehashing some clichés about Americans about their looks and this and that. I always ask that person: Are you really familiar with the American way of life? Do you really know the American language and all those nooks and crannies of the American language and so forth? So this is not a disclaimer. I'm just trying to decipher and dissect this concept, not the word, the concept of Americanism, such as as it is being, such as it is portrayed, in the eyes of anti Americans quote unquote in France, in Germany, let alone in Germany uh, let alone in America or in Antebellum South by Calhoun or George Fitzhugh, who are also hey. the opponents of Jefferson. Anyway, about, it's a long. How about
0: Baudrillard? He wrote that he wrote sort of a de Tocqueville thing I think in the seventies or eighties,
2: Jean is Baudrillard? Indeed. Uh, Jean Baudrillard
1: uh, he wrote this book America. It's actually doesn't even have the accent. It the, the doesn't have the, ac- uh, the accent. It was the book was translated from French into into English. I read uh, the English and the French version. I can tell you, does it make English any
0: sense at all? I mean, I I wasn't able to.
1: Oh, uh, let I, me ever tell you I, about Baudrillard. I don't want to go into some academic details because the the French in the French language when you. Uh, when you put uh, the the nouns uh, the, the the nouns of of different states and countries, they always have the definite article, like la France, la Croatie, uh, the l'Allemagne, America, yeah. Uh, yeah. les Etats-Unis. Uh, the now the book in French is called Amérique. And in a, in in French, it has a somewhat somewhat different connotation because America, the way it in French, it sounds like an abstract noun, and this is what the book is all about. He it, it talks about this virtual, you know, vicarious America, rather as a system, rather as a system. Uh, uh, how can I put it? Projected system in a surreal world, and not the real America that exist uh, in, in on the continent. It's a very good book. In fact, I'm in my first chapter, I'm quoting him quite often. By the way, he's one of my favorite authors as well. Now, ironically
0: I, used to, I used to have a quotation from Baudrillard on my answering machine um, uh-huh. about 17 years ago. The one about uh, now, uh, now it is the territory whose fragments rot across the map.
1: Yes, yes, yes. He, he recently <laughs> passed away, by the way. I'm sorry to tell you that. I don't know if you're familiar. Two weeks ago, yeah, no, three I didn't weeks hear ago, that. you passed Kurt away. Kurt Vonnegut right? just died. Yes I heard that yesterday. Well anyway let me I just don't want to tire your, your your readers or your listeners but I would just like to give you an impression of my book the second chapter is actually deals and I would consider that you know somewhat subjectively if you may say as my most important chapter it deals with uh, uh, the homo sovieticus and homo americanus this brings me actually to the first question which you may have asked me what prompted me to write to this book? Well, actually, uh, I'll what tell you quite No,
0: I didn't ask that, but let me ask that. What prompted you to write this book, Professor?
1: Well, quite frankly, I'm explaining that in the second chapter, but not in the in I version, not in the myself version. Uh, let me put it somewhat, uh, somewhat, uh, somewhat differently. Uh, once upon a time, we just consider it and we took for granted that our Western, so-called Western uh, demo- democracies and liberal systems, that they had to deal with the, the Russian, with the Soviet nomenklatura, with the Soviet party system, and so to speak with the Sovietology. As a matter of fact, we had some bizarre... Uh, coined uh, new words, neologisms like Sovietology, Moscovology, Kremlinology. You may probably recall that back in... And now, uh, what's wrong with talking about Americanology? What's wrong about talking about homo-americanos? Once upon a time, there was millions of grants were given and lots of money. Governmental money was spent on, quote-unquote, some real, some surreal experts on the Soviet Union... Whose, whose predictions, by the way, were not were not true in in the first place. Now I think my, to myself, now the communism ah. has communism fell apart. Is not high time now to study its 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 rigid opponent. Is not the time now to study not just the American system per se the political system, but also the American mindset, and how this American mindset is being uh, uh, um, uh, affected by the political decision-making. So these are some of the issues that I'm dealing with, and here I'm drawing the parallel between Homo, homo, homo Sovieticus and Homo Americanus in this sec- second chapter. particularly. I thought of, another, I author. I thought
0: of another author, um, a Polish author. Stanislaw Lem actually wrote some stuff that you may be familiar with, um, like parodies, political parodies of like um, the American military. Uh, I think notes found in a bathtub.
1: Thanks for telling me that. I'll mark his, uh, his name because... Uh, Stan-
0: have you ever heard of Stanislaw Lem? Sound, sounds Science very familiar.
1: Author. Pardon my ignorance, but sounds very familiar and I will certainly look it up.
0: Yeah, as a matter of fact, I've never... Uh, you know, I should do something about Lem and Majority Rights. I should put a post up, because some of his books are yeah. actually quite relevant, and there are hilarious English translations available.
1: Oh, that's what I'm interested in. Please do keep me informed about that, because I definitely want to look at the translations and see ah, how... the the Futurological
0: captured. Congress is another good one.
1: <laughs> Please do that for me. I'd certainly, that w- that's going to be a pleasure but anyway, for go, me. Go, go, go on to your second chapter. Yes, well, we third the third chapter, chapter is also sort of it's like a follow-up to the second chapter between where I draw the parallels between the Soviet language and the American language with between political correctness, ethnic sensitivity, trainings, and all the rest. By the way, this uh, the same lingo existed in the Soviet in the commune- communist vernacular, which I'm very much familiar with as a former Yugoslav child, if you wish, as a homo Yugoslaviensis. The third chapter, which follows up on the second, deals with the origin of political correctness and Americans' role in its perfection, which is very, very well footnote, I think, and actually deals with... Uh, with this mind control and with this uh, self-censorship among in- intellectuals and how in fact the United States of America affected this process particularly with this uh, with the Frankfurt school and its exports after the second World war and also with the deep seated uh, calvinism and different moralistic uh, offshoots of it that reflected itself uh, themselves on Europe and it's a, i should say it's a rather academic chapter now uh, the, the the fourth chapter is, deals with the biblical origins of American fundamentalism, where I talk about with ah. the hyper-moralism, where I also talk about um, the, this surreal uh, conception of, of themselves and surreal conception of the other world. And talking about hypermoralism in this chapter, I do quote uh, uh, some uh, new postmodern theorists, including uh, including Jean Baudrillard also. So as I said, every at least I'm trying to be as, as, a, as a academic in, every, in my approach, and so I'm trying my assertions and my, also my value judgments to back up with some solid uh, uh, footnotes or with some translations. Now in the, in, the, in the fifth chapter in Yahweh we trust the divine foreign policy, and again it's a follow-up to the preceding chapter, I'm dealing with this hyper-moralistic zeal that it's still so strong, not just in Bush's uh, foreign policy uh, decision-making, but also in the entire history of the United States of America, this this whole idea of spreading the world, of improving and embellishing the world and making it better for for other people. Well,
0: you know that that all those poor, um, benighted, Non-Americans in the or proto-Americans in the rest of the world—they just want to be like us, don't you know? Like all the Iraqis, that's why we have to go and bring them our American system. Exactly. I, I heard President Bush say this. Um, in qu- fact, I believe there is a there is a. A, a potential Thomas Paine hiding behind every sand dune in Iraq. I think the president actually said this. Is that
1: what he said? Well, you've got no, a really quick no, but No,
0: but apparently he believes it.
1: If, well, it might be the case, but I'm glad that you brought this up because this is the, the, uh, more and more, more profoundly I'm dealing with the perception and the self-perception of the American political elites. How do they perceive their good, do good? entry into the world scene and how their quote-unquote opponents and even haters, how do they uh, perceive uh, America? So this is something I'm sort of trying to bridge this gap in, in, my, in my conceptual approach and I would certainly suggest to some of your students and some of your colleagues to read the book, not because they have to agree or disagree with me, but I'm, I'm trying to raise as many issues as possible. And then finally, in the, the in my last chapter, the post-American, post-modernity, the real and hyperreal America, these are sub chapters again. I'm quoting many, many post-modern theorists, including one of my favorite American authors, who unfortunately also passed away, Christopher Lasch. I'm sure you're familiar with him.
0: Yeah, uh, the culture of uh, of, the culture narcissism, of narcissism. Yes, uh, I think I read that when I was uh, I don't know 15 or something.
1: Yes, it's now it's been now 20, 25 years that the book was probably actually more than that. And, uh, I, I think I read it when it came out. Understood.
0: I think I read it as soon as it came out in paperback. This is what yes. I.
1: Yes, and then finally, I'm I'm quoting. I'm, I'm having the last chapter, which I'm sure might be of some appeal to some conservative thinkers. You know, some scholar actually students in the states. It has a somewhat flashy Italian title, but I'm sure you will understand the meaning of it. A e pluribus dissensus. It's no longer a pluribus <laughs> dissunum, but a pluribus dissensus, in which I'm basically. T- in
0: many dissent.
1: Yes, right. in which I'm basically talking about the potential, or real, if you wish, balkanization of the United States of America.
0: Well, you should make, it, you should make a, a Charles Darwin and evolution joke in that chapter. The descent of man.
1: Oh, <laughs> that's a good one. Do you mean descent with two S or with S uh, C? Right, right, SC? right. It's a joke <laughs> because yeah. it can be a descent like falling down, but it can be a descent yeah, right. of man. Descent like right. Descent I like dissenters, but <laughs> it's a good, it's a good joke indeed. Thanks. Yes, in this chapter also, I devote a very uh, savory and laudatory piece to my dear Southern agrarians from Tennessee and some good uh, American uh, thinkers of the early 30s. Who unfortunately, I also unknown in the States, and I'm trying to sort of uh, demythify this image, which is unfortunately strong, not just on the East Coast in America, but also in many leftist circles in uh, Europe, that all uh, Southerners from America are dumb or rednecks or something. In fact, I'm arguing that these are very intelligent, good people, that they have been able to retain some ancient European customs paradoxically much better than the Europeans. And um, of course, I'm quoting much from George Fitzhugh, who unfortunately doesn't have a good rating here in America, because, of course, as you may know, he was a man who was. I to isn't some isn't
0: there su- hasn't there been a claim made that uh, some Southern dialects or Appalachian dialects actually preserve features of Elizabethan English that that um, have died out in in the wider. Yes,
1: absolutely, and I'm glad that you brought this up. But after all, we don't have to go that far. Just go to some bayous in Louisiana. You will find the language, some French language, which was spoken in France in the, in the 18th century, just like in, up in further, up, further up in Montreal. And yes, uh,
0: and um, I, I suppose all of our listeners know, of course, that that didn't come straight from France.
1: No, no, no. It, it came well,
0: via the Maritimes. Precisely. the Acadians.
1: Acadian, exactly. I'm glad that you brought this up, and uh, I, again, I don't want to sound too scholarly on your show. I'm very grateful for it in the, to start with, but nonetheless, these are some of the issues, particularly for my dear dear Southerners in America, that needs to need to be brought to the fore, and they should be a little bit more familiar with their identity. There's nothing to be ashamed of, quite to the contrary and do uh, you see the paradox which we both agree on like some of those medieval uh, under quotation marks and classical tradition values have been better preserved in some islands uh, in some little islands i mean uh, metaphorically speaking in let's say alabama or for that part arkansas than in europe itself
0: now i'm not look as a, i'm not personally familiar with that i'm not from the south and I've never wanted to go to the South. I've always thought that they wouldn't like me in the South. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, and right. uh, so, no, I'm not personally in love with or even familiar with this part of America, mm-hmm. but I'm prepared to believe you. My, myself, I don't come from that tradition. Um, where exactly someone like myself would come from, mm-hmm. you know, is another question and for another show if if in fact it is for a show at all I have no idea the answer to that question but I don't come from this strain in America th- this, this place in America that you're interested in that, in that preserves something of the past mm-hmm. I can't see that I myself come from that at all but I'm glad that now I recognize that that exists which I didn't before because I, I always, I've always disliked the idea of the South. Mostly because I dislike sunlight and heat.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I guess it's not a matter of loving or hating. I just would like to bring to the fore some hidden uh, or some uh, undownplayed uh, features of the American way of life which in no way should be uh, forgotten. In fact, most uh, Europeans, even some of my dear colleagues, I must say you have a very superficial idea of what America is all about. And I guess even when making a sound critique of uh, the United States of America, one must take into account uh, different aspects in a country with just as much as it may sound sometimes boring and too too homogenous in a negative sense, with one language, one fast food, one fast uh, death, if you wish. Oh does but,
0: we're, but we're going to extend that one type of cuisine, one language, to right. a global mondialist paradise.
1: Right, absolutely. Now to that extent, we can certainly find some critical, uh, some some points where we can both criticize, but at the same time we have to look at some some diverse some diverse uh, issues uh, regarding America and Americanism which may be very dear to me and to some other peoples as well and which are which remain simply unknown to a larger audience
0: This sounds like an absolutely fascinating book and i'm I'm ashamed and and um, hurt that I haven't read it yet. And (laughs) it's actually not only published, but it's actually for sale. It's for sale. You can go to Amazon and buy it. Exactly. Now, I I will tell you this. I would have definitely ordered a copy already if it were not for this fact. I have money, I have a little bit of money to buy books in a PayPal account. Uh And unfortunately, Amazon will not take PayPal because they have some competing arrangement with some credit card company. They don't like PayPal. They're competitors on a large internet scale mm-hmm. and so they won't take paypal other no. than that I I certainly would have bought it now I, I looked at the books page on amazon last night and I saw that there was only one reader review posted this is where people uh, some people really like writing book reviews and posting mm-hmm. them on amazon and there was only one and I, I know for a fact that there are people you know regular po- posters at majority rights and regular listeners to majority rights radio I know who actually write good book reviews and post them, including Mm -hmm. at Amazon. And I am urging those people in no uncertain terms to rush out and read your book and then review it at Amazon. And if possible, if they could um, shill for the book at as many sites as possible.
1: I certainly would be grateful to hear that. And I certainly would encourage myself... Uh, Look, I don't want to do self-promotion, but (laughs) you're more than welcome to do something. No, no, no,
0: because you don't want to be you know, a a whore to mammon. Right. But the point is that's what we're here for. That's what I'm here for. Yes. Because I can shill for you, and if the time ever came, you might shill for me, and that way it doesn't look like... Pure grubby, greedy self-interest in whoring for mammon.
1: Well, of course, I guess we one thing we agree with: it's not the money that counts after all. It's the book is not expensive, but it's certainly I'd like, you, yeah, I'd like to be challenged a little bit, and I guess I'm providing some ideas from a different perspective. After all, let me put it bluntly: I've put a great deal of work in it. There are lots of translations okay. from French Any into years? German, from German and French into English. There was a great deal of editing. Uh, there were some people also who helped me out. And I must also single out the name of David Yates and uh, Alain de Benoît and, and some other folks who just technically also, and uh, also David Stennett who helped me out a little bit with that book. There was a great deal of work on it, but by and large, the most most of the footwork and most of the intellectual work I had to do myself. <laughs> so, and By the way, I'm well sorry to, to...
0: Actually, the thing about intellectual work... Yeah. Is one always has to do it oneself? Absolutely,
2: it's not the
1: choir singing. It's just one thing. It's not like watching TV. You read a book, no. you read it yourself. You can't do it in promiscuously like five or six, six uh, sitting and uh, sipping beer and watching TV. It's a it's a deep involvement with yourself at the rereading pair of, uh, phrases. Uh, well, I guess we know the story. By the way, I'll just take the liberty of asking you and possibly asking you for a favor. Should you be traveling to, to Russia for the conference or something uh, similar, feel free to uh, put in yes. a word. And in fact, I can send you some I, I, I
0: have some. I have some bad news about that. Um, mm-hmm. Not bad in a larger sense, but I shan't, uh, Majority of Rights will not be sending a documentary film crew to the Moscow conference. Uh-huh. Um, and let's just say that the arrangements with the 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 organizers of the Moscow conference, the the conditions and terms under which they were prepared to allow us to come film were completely unacceptable, oh. um, and and you you can imagine you know you wish to make a film at a conference you can imagine that there would be some offer from the other side that was n- uh. just simply unacceptable. So and I I don't think we have to air that. Right,
1: I understand perfectly. I understand.
0: The, you know, okay. So right. what we but but however resources have been actually devoted um, or, or set aside um, by our shadowy backers, let's say, uh, to fund this Moscow project. And those resources are now available. Uh, and so the uh, majority rights video project, <laughs> if you will, is about to acquire some rather good uh, equipment. And so I want to ask you, I now I missed you when you were in the States this spring. Yes if it's ever the case that you're in the states again i insist that either you come here and meet me or i manage to meet you somewhere in the states and film you you know high definition video um you know
1: oh get I, have
0: you ever seen the film my dinner with andre
1: well, it sounds familiar but believe it or not i must apologize i'm a poor but movie but anyway the, p-
0: the point is you're as fascinating as the guy I mean you're mm. as good a conversationalist in my opinion as the guy that they filmed for that, uh, w- that w- Wallace Sean had dinner with my dinner with Andre and I I think that that would be a good piece and so I'm asking you to promise that if you come to the States again you'll make every effort to make yourself available for an interview on film
1: I'm quite certain I'm mean in fact lengthy. I'm not ruling out I will be there before August and I certainly will let you know in due time and I certainly would like to set up something with you.
0: Yeah. So, too bad about Moscow, but we're gonna get some good cameras and uh, we have expert, we have, there will be expert advice on how to use them.
1: Mm, Excellent.
0: And, um, you know, once again we have to thank all our supporters and 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 backers and the people By all made means this and I'd like
1: to thank them as well and uh, well i in fact, I certainly would be pleased to spread out the book and to put it in word f- for it in fact, some of my friends in France also uh will do some reviews of it. The problem is with the French is that the um, of course always this there's, there's a language barrier and uh but I, I must admit that, that the book has already been publicized and, and advertised in um, on some good and almost res- pretty respectable websites in, in France, also. Among some of my friends from...
0: Wh- wh- while we're on the topic of France, there's this new thing that was invented in the 90s in France called parkour. Have you heard of it? There's some fascinating videos on the Internet of it. And the latest James Bond film opens with a parkour sequence. Uh, parkour is this running... Uh, it's like... Gymnastics, sort of, but it involves running and jumping from building to building, uh, landing on the ground and rolling. Have you seen any no, of this? You really
1: got me on that. I'm embarrassed parcours? and ashamed to say I'm not familiar. Oh, okay. No, I, I, I know what parcours in French means, like to well, travel, to traverse, tra- to like right. moving, going, and it also means in a wider sense uh, uh, your biography. You can say somebody who has his, his experienced life, it has different meanings, but. I'm not familiar. Yeah, with yeah this well, I, with a
0: K, it's now a new no. um, sort of uh, sport. Uh-huh. But um, no, I was just wondering if you'd heard of it. No. Uh, I had uh, okay. Since we did mention Alex Linder and some other people, I thought we would also we should also talk briefly about um, Constantine, since uh, in fact I know him quite well now, mm-hmm. um, and I think you know him, right? Sure,
1: I know him very well. Have you had a chance to to meet him in person?
0: No, but I will soon. Mm-hmm. He is... Um, I will, within a two-month period, I, right. I will meet him and and film him.
1: Oh, excellent. Cool. Um,
0: but, um, yes, he was going to um, help me in Moscow. He was going to actually put me up at his place. Hey, that's very and good. And the film crew. That's <laughs> very good. Yeah, now, he's interesting, and, um, I- you know... Just as you always want to talk about your writing and have other people talk about it, he's the same way. Could you think of one thing he's written that sticks out in your mind, that you, like one essay?
1: Well, let me tell you, he wrote excellent poems in both German and English. And I can't think of them, but I have them on my website someplace. This is where I can, actually truly truly, you know, regardless of some of his uh, defaults and... He's definitely a great poet, and he is an excellent translator. I must truly commend his English and his German. As you certainly know, he's of German, uh, birth of German descent. And he's, uh, I don't he's know him rather f- well. He's completely
0: fluent in English, however. Yes,
1: and he is, a very not, just, not just that he is fluent. He sometimes is even more fluent than, uh, than an average American because he can, he can get the gist of, of some of, um, especially poetic phrases. And I'd certainly suggest yeah. you talk to him and no. ask him about his poetry.
0: Yeah, there you know there is a actually there is a word for talent. Mm-hmm. that such as Constantine has, but I don't think we need to use it. Right, yes. But I I think you and I both recognize Right, it. yes.
1: Yes. <laughs> yes. No, he's a good guy. He's he's someone's much younger than me, but he's on the good track and I think that he can he can he can definitely con- contribute to our spiritual cause <laughs> if I can put it that way.
0: Now have you ever heard of Kai Muros who I did uh, the last radio show on, an interview? He's Finnish, he's from Finland, and I was not aware of him before Konstantin told me about The him. name is very, very but
1: familiar. I'm just trying to, to put him in the right context. And you get got to pardon my ignorance sometimes. It takes me a while just to figure out. I'm probably getting old, I don't know. But I know the name is familiar. I just need to... to K A I. Yes, I just
0: M U R R O S. I just
1: need to resuscitate the context, the history, and time when we met, and if we met, and where, and when I read him. No,
0: he's he never he has never met anyone. In fact, Uh he had never even Constantine and he Uh had been reading each other's stuff for years and greatly admired each other, but had never, in fact, been in contact. That's um, really enough. Until recently, Mm -hmm. Um, however we're not ready for an announcement but the three of us kai constantine and myself we are act- we actually have something in the works um which we will be announcing in the next I few months to hear that. um something something in the nature of a um you know a platform or political movement or artistic or literary mm-hmm. movement um, uh, and let's say that it's not unrelated to what you're doing it's not unrelated to norman lowell
1: mhm
0: you know, but uh, can we finish up by just talking a little bit about something? Might even seem not relevant, but uh, Hobbes, Thomas Hobbes, and uh, the Leviathan. Mm-hmm. And if you would talk, you're a political scientist, mm-hmm. and and I'm sure you have plenty to say about Leviathan. But I was wondering about um, if Hobbes, when he used that metaphor, would have been thinking of the other leviathan like beasts in the bible so there's the there's the beast in daniel Mm -hmm. and there the beast in the book of revelations and to me they all sort of get conflated um for for instance in the art institute in chicago years ago i saw a print by um blake william blake Mm -hmm. and it Mm -hmm. was of the canterbury yes and it it uh the 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 emphasis on the print was on this woman sitting side saddle on a horse, holding a goblet and grinning with a gap between her front teeth. Clearly the wife of Bath. Mm -hmm. And I looked at that... And she also drank wine. I don't know if Chaucer actually has her holding a goblet while riding a horse, but she drank. Mm -hmm. And, of course, it was gap-toothed because she was passionate. Mm -hmm. Um, Gap-toothed women are supposed to be especially passionate ladies. But I saw it and I thought you know, Blake is playing with the whore of Babylon who sits on the beast of the end times, right? Mm-hmm. The ten-horned beast. Blake is, and, he, you know, ten years later, I, I look it up on the web, and you know what? Mm. It wasn't an original thought. No, Bla- that's what Blake had in mind. But for some reason, I connect, not the horse, of course, but the, the beast that the scarlet woman of Babylon rides on the mm-hmm. Ten Horns I connect that with Leviathan mm-hmm. my mind. Yes And with Hobbes' Leviathan well, And I wonder I- mm-hmm. I- is Does that remind you of anything? Would Hobbes have been thinking of that?
1: By all means Well let me just uh, straighten out one issue In the 16th and 17th 18th century Almost to the Enlightenment It was quite common among uh, authors Regardless of what their background was For the most part there were there were folks uh, Who had The um, uh, uh A church, sort of a church-based education, because at that time, the world, the Western world, including the uh, England, was not secular; were not secular states. So it is very common to find among classic authors some references and some symbolics relevant, or in fact, even identical with uh, with the biblical language. So,
0: and these, and they would have expected their readers to understand. Absolutely,
1: absolutely whether it is for good or for bad. Now, of course, in in our epoch, when we look at at those authors uh, retrospectively, we we sometimes, we are a little bit confused with the symbolics, but by and large, the symbolics of the, not just the medieval literature, but even the later on, the the 16th, all the way to the Enlightenment, was full of those biblical um references, be it in the French literature and the or the English literature, he also right. in German literature as well. It was only after the Enlightenment that things started to change. Of course Blake comes in the early nineteenth century if I'm correct, you know, early eight in yes. the early nineteenth century. So things are starting to change. And keep in mind also that Blake was quote unquote under quotation marks more continentally European in his approach. My wife by the way knows him well if she likes him. And uh,
0: Really really I know. I have to confess. Yes. I, I have issues with Blake. There there are currents in Blake that I don't like. Um, in particular, uh, he once saw a drawing of some trees or a painting of some right. trees that um, another artist had made, and he seized the piece and he looked at it and he said, "Now this is a work of genius and spirit." Yeah. But when the other man told him, "Yes, I went over and I sketched these particular trees at this particular location," and, and it was a it was it was a, a painting from life. Yes. And when he found out that it was not a work of the soul and the imagination, but it was, in fact, a painting of life, Blake, you know, it was nothing to him. It was shit. Yeah, you know? no, I understand <laughs> it fully. But Now, now, now I, I dislike that. I share my life and marriage bed with a painter, mm-hmm. and she paints from life. Mm-hmm. And so I'm prejudiced against Blake for that. There's, there's, a, there's something in his religiosity that is just contrary to my aesthetics. yes but go on. Well,
1: I wanted actually to make this this parallel with uh, let let me just put it bluntly for that's just the average, average people, average listener who doesn't have any idea of what painting is all about. Just go to the Tate Gallery in London, or just look at any any major classical work of the, for, of England by English painters, and you will not notice any erotic or lush scenes with naked women like you will see in France or in Germany, for that matter. Which tells you again that the spirit of Calvinism was pretty much pronounced, uh, more pronounced in, in uh, early England than it was. Um, I mean, earlier the sixteenth, seventeenth, eighteenth century during Cromwell, and later on. Than in continental Europe, hence the reason that that uh, that Blake comes as a as a miracle for for many continental Europeans, including myself, because we are much more used to those. Gory scenes, uh, expressionist scenes, or even if it were sexual scenes, which we just could not take for normal <laughs> in our daily life, you know, even on cathedrals, if you wish. It's a long topic we could discuss about morality and hypermoralism. But I'm, by the way, I'm off
0: You know, if I was gonna, yeah. if, if I, if we were gonna have a long talk about yeah. Blake, then I think I would have to go reread uh, yes. both yeah, Blake and Czeslaw Milosz. Yeah, yes. You know, Milosz.
1: Yes, this Polish fellow, Czeslaw Milosz. Am I correct? Yeah, he won the Nobel. Yes, yeah. yes, yeah
0: his autobiography is really good too Mm -hmm. but um but he was a a blake expert but back to the question of hobbes and whether how much of an imaginative of an unjustified imaginative leap am i making in uh, in somehow thinking that leviathan might have something to do with that other beast that shows up at the very end of the bible
1: you mean the bible in the bible itself
0: right right well Leviathan comes it was like some big fish or right. something yes, in the Bible yes, like you know, a can you draw him or out in from right. Proverbs or, or Job or something but, but for some reason I connect Hobbes Leviathan with you know the, the creature that the whore of Babylon rides on which is also connected of course to the ten horned beast um, you know I, I, there's another one in, in the prophecy of Daniel yes But is that legitimate at all
1: well, to be perfectly frank with you, I'm quite familiar with the Bible, but I don't know specifically what you're referring to. You mean the prophecy of Daniel when it is uh, horrible?
0: No, no, the the Book of Revelations, the very last book. And, um,
1: um and what what exactly you this you is your question? Is it relevant for the modern times, or was it relevant for the Blake's time, or?
0: No, no. Uh, well, let's just drop it. But, but,
1: um, I uh, certainly. <laughs>
0: Say some more about Hobbes' Leviathan.
1: Well, I guess we have, in, in a sense, just as much as uh, we, we, you know, the liberals are also using, uh, modern liberals are using Hobbes as a as a founding father of classical liberals. but at the same time, you know, Carl Schmitt, a conservative uh, revolutionary thinker and lawyer, he was also fond of of uh, of, um, of Hobbes. And, in fact, the Leviathan can be used metaphorically as a... As a Proto-totalitarian state, so to say, you know, his state. It's uh, well, a yes, necessity exactly. which we simply cannot wish away or shrug away. It's here to stay. Mm-hmm. The same well, and uh, I, I, did we talk about? S-
0: Le- I think we talked about Leo Strauss before, yes. right? I mean, the father of York. Did, did we talk about Strauss? I guess yes, <laughs> the other day. Yeah. He he, he he wrote a book on Hobbes.
1: Yes, so. I think so. Yes, I, I'm not.
0: Of course, he had his own crazy ideas, yes. like. He thought that it was all in code or something. I guess
1: we'd better talk about him as a f- f- founding father of neoconservatism as well. <laughs> just something quite... Oh, <laughs> yes. Oh, yes. I'm yes. very aware no, of that. I guess it will, we'll leave that for the next time. I just wouldn't like to make this discussion too academic and too boring. I'm very, indeed, grateful for your for your questions, and I certainly would like to choose uh, and okay. pick out...
0: Did you know this? Speaking of the neo-conservatism, yes that reminds me. You know Alan Greenspan who was like for 17 years one of the most powerful men in the world. He, he was the head of the Fed. And he still is a very awful the economist. <laughs> yeah. What? But did you know that when he was young he used to sit at the feet of Ayn Rand. He was an Ayn Rand uh-huh. groupie and an objectivist.
1: Okay. Did you know that? Well, uh, well I guess I, I know that for sure that many neoconservatives who now boast with their anti-communism used to Proponents of uh, very Rabbi Trotskyism, and <laughs> you know. well, no, no. so I'm not well, surprised. Rand you know. was an
0: anti-communist. R- Rand was an anti-communist too.
1: Oh. But well, uh, so was Sharansky, you know. But at some point, he was also a KGB spy. And I know that some of the big dissidents, you know, who discovered anti-communism once upon a time, were just very fervent, fervent um, uh, communists. So I'm very skeptical. Of what
0: do you What do you think of Socialism? He's a
1: good guy. He's clean. Do you know, apparently... I could put it that way. He's yes. clean?
0: Apparently, there is a uh, t- large work he has written called 200 Years right. Together, which is unavailable in English only, I think it's now available on the web in translation. It should have been,
1: in fact, I, w- I had a tele- telephone chat a couple of months ago with Bill Regnery about... Uh, the book and how to get the copyrights from a Russian fellow who has this book, but it, it seems to me now that the book is available in English, though, so it can be... Uh, I haven't read it, I've read it's only it's chapters, some some passages from different chapters, but I, I'm not... I mean, yes, I am generally familiar with the main theme, but I, I don't know the details.
0: And, and, and it's about 200 years together, uh, which is presumably the 200 years since the... Um,
1: well, since the
0: S- s- since the European Jewry left the ghettos, right, right and, yes. and came onto the wider yes, scene, yeah. and in the words of, um, I, I believe now that I'm quoting a man named uh, John Francis um or John Murray Cudahy, ch- Um who wrote uh, the ordeal of civility. Mm-hmm. But when the, um, the 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 Jews left the ghettos and some of them began to integrate into Western mm-hmm. intellectual society, there was a, a He calls the rabbinical system of education Mm -hmm. a machine for the production of a certain kind of intellectuals which became destructively unleashed inside the European peoples. And I I assume that when Solzhenitsyn says 200 years together, you know, the Jews and the Russians, he's talking about the 200 years since that machine was unleashed. Yes,
1: Yes, by all means. Well, it's certainly a good book, but it's it's certainly not, let me quite quite clearly put it. It's not an anti-Semitic book. It's very descriptive uh, in its nature, and I, it's certainly worth a read from what I from some reviews that I've read. But it's uh,
0: well. How how can you say it's not anti-Semitic? Mm-hmm. That's not up to you to say. If it, it look, doesn't, if if the Jews don't like it, if the Jews don't like it being said, uh, then it's anti-Semitic. Well, I probably right? let me put a different That's thing. The only Had only I
1: heard th- some outcry on the parts of some Jewish circles. Uh, I certainly would have, would have granted you your, 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 your concession. In fact, I would have agreed with you, but I haven't heard much about that at all. In fact, it was I'm surprised that the book well, was but the downplayed I- in a sense. That that I
0: well, I think th- but I think that one strategy is to protest and make a racket, and I think another strategy is to pretend that something isn't happening. I mean, if you can prevent a book from being published yeah. in English for, what, 10 years? If you can prevent a translation from being published... Mm and you can have people not talk about it at all that well look at kevin mcdonald they don't make a big hullabaloo about kevin mcdonald's culture of critique do they they more Mm -hmm. or less ignore Mm -hmm. it in fact when a woman from the southern poverty law center went out to uh, long beach last year and began sort of harassing kevin mcdonald and trying to cause him trouble on campus Mm -hmm. um that in fact was somehow a violation, I think, of the general policy of not giving him publicity by protesting mm. against him that has generally been employed uh, against what him. I so uh, I think I d- if I may just, I th- I think the suppression of 200 years together in English translation is just as much uh. an accusation. I mean, yes, they didn't come right out and call it anti-Semitic. No, they kept it from appearing. Uh, let
1: me just return back to Solzhenitsyn. I'm pretty much familiar with some of his earlier work. I unfortunately I didn't read the book. I, I read some some passages, and I read quite a few reviews of it. But judging, and again, I have to uh, apologize to your audience. I, I cannot talk about something which I haven't read, in the first place. But uh, by and large, from what I've gathered. From this book. It's
0: that's th- why you could never be a critic.
1: Well, I guess even if I.
0: Because you because you refuse to talk about something that you haven't read. Well, uh, pr- uh, that's well, a joke. <laughs> yeah, that's
1: a joke indeed, but I, I take certain pride in the fact that I spend quite a bit of time reading it. So it's the same thing when people make, you know, just cliches about me, or for that matter, you in general, without knowing what you're talking about. Oh, wait,
0: wait. Are, are people spreading cliches about no, me? No, 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 no. Just oh, in general. This is, well, th- no, no no if if that's true that's amazing it means mm. my plans are coming to fruition absolutely, earlier than I yes. had hoped no, no, well it's, it's just, just <laughs> people are actually spreading cliches about the it the same
1: thing like with Kevin Mcdonald, MacDonald whom, by the way I know well but you know it's a thick book and I I doubt that uh, even some of his cold, uh, quote unquote critics have read the book in its entirety it takes time and, uh,
0: I I doubt that any of his critics have read yes, it in its entirety
1: absolutely so that's
0: but I I I would not I would not take seriously anyone with pretensions to joining the discussion on our side, uh-huh. at an an intellectual level of discussion, mm. who hadn't read The Culture of Contingency. Yes,
1: no, I fully agree with you.
0: So, if someone tried to join our discussion and and, and, and had not read it, you know, uh, why would you even join our, our Why would you even join our t- our discussion mm. if you had not read that book?
1: Yes. Well, uh, thank you for your questions. I really appreciate that, sir. And, and I,
0: and 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 you know what, that's probably almost true of your book.
1: Well, I hope that at least you will have a chance to read it, and I, I certainly take that with. Uh, Gratitude, the fact that you still haven't had a chance to read it, but I'm sure you will. You will hear and you will, and I'm sure you will like some passages. But by and large, I, let me be quite honest, if I may. I don't like people who just keep flattering, and, and we, we are not here in the in, in a business of flattering each other. We, we need to be very critical you towards know, each actually, other.
0: No, actually, when I say I didn't read it, I read a lot of it in in press oh. actually. Oh, okay. Like, I I, I yeah, I'm well familiar
1: pre-press. with with some of the some of the basic yeah. thrust of the arguments.
0: Oh, absolutely. You know, this has been the most fascinating discussion and I I um I see that you're on your way to becoming to majority radio what Alec Baldwin is to Saturday Night Live. That is, you know, he 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 tied Steve Martin for the most frequent appearances as host. He came 13 times to guest uh-huh. host just as um Steve Martin did. And um I I not only are you the only Interviewee who appeared twice or the first, but I suspect that you'll be the first one to come back three times. Well,
1: thank you very much. And the third time, as we say in our country, you know, this will be the best time. I promise you that. The only thing is, if I may, just make a slight, slight, slight objection. We have to be a little bit more focused so you can pick the topic, be it in geopolitics or in the realm of literature, or surrealism, if you wish. And then we can well get we can get prepared very well, and then we can discuss more in in, in depth the, the topic
0: you know I'm not sure I agree with you and here's the reason because the comments I got on the last interview I did with Kai Muros where in other words I think that actually preparation and trying to stay on topic actually may hurt more than it helps in this case so I think you should I think you should relax and enjoy what we do And, you know, run it up the flagpole, see if anyone salutes. Because I got comments indicating, you know, there are people who feel both ways. There are people who feel that I do better when I just relax and talk to the guest about what interests me. This is why, for instance, I used to put an announcement on Majority Rights saying, in a week we will do an interview with so-and-so, I want your suggestions for things to ask him. And I found that that, in fact, did not improve my interviewing Mm. at all when I did that. Oh, good to hear that. So that's why I don't do it anymore.
1: Good to hear that. Well, uh, Stern, I guess we'll have to part company now, and I'm very glad. And where are you calling me from? From Chicago, right?
0: Ah, yes. um, Right. Well, you know, we're trying to keep personal information off. Okay. But I guess that... I guess that uh, those who want to know where I live already know where they okay. live. And I'm using my real name, which, you know, may not... It's a funny story how that happened, actually. It was an accident. Do you know... Did you hear that story?
1: No, but if we can just keep it brief because I have some other errands and I'm sorry I have to run.
0: Oh, no, no. It was, a, it was an accident. When I started posting at Majority Rights, uh, the, um, the man who runs the site uh, assigned me a name mm-hmm. That I would appear under, and he used the name that was on my email account. But he thought it was a pseudonym. He thought Soren Runner was a pseudonym. Oh, I see. (laughs) So he outed me. So when I started writing, I was writing under my own name, and it turned out to be a good thing. Excellent. See, so it turned out to be a good thing because um, it's not necessary for everyone to be Mm -hmm. non-anonymous but it is necessary for some of us to be out. That's good to hear. Because it it, it, it is necessary for someone to stick his head above the parapet to draw fire.
1: Uh, no, that's, <laughs> that's the way to go.
0: Okay. Well, I hope that I haven't uh, talked too much and in an overweening, overambitious way, like dominated you conversation. No, no, no. By all interview. means, I'm quite But happy. I'm sure someone will say that I did.
1: <laughs> well, that's always the case. But I'm grateful, sir, and, and let us keep in touch. And I will have to leave you now. And my best regards. Yes. And do not hesitate to to pass on my my links, my my book site, and also my website to your colleagues uh, would, and your would friends. You,
0: would, would you like to repeat that? Uh, how, would you, would you repeat all that information uh, for us? Do our not listener? hesitate
1: to give them.
0: No, 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 no. Actually, tell them the the addresses.
1: Oh, I don't I don't know it by heart. In fact, my my website and also the Amazon.com um, with my with the book ordering and. But I did email it to you, so just feel free to pass it on, and you can put it on. us. Uh, you on know, site.
0: people have people have Google now; they can yeah, find
1: sure, it. they can spot me. me everywhere. But if you put in a word, that certainly may be of some help, and I'll be very grateful.
0: Well, you know, our job won't be done until your face looks down, your kindly face looks down on us from placards in every public location, and behind that smile, there will be a camera watching. Oh, us. Oh, that's
1: good. <laughs> that's good news. <laughs> When I'll be running <laughs> for president for congressman, we'll see about that. Well thank you, Seren one more time and let us keep in touch, please. All right. Bye. Thank
2: now. you. What what were the skies like when you were young? They went on forever. when I We lived in Arizona, and the skies always had little fluffy clouds in them, and uh, they were long and clear. And there were lots of stars at night. And uh, when it would rain, it, would all turn. it They were beautiful, the most beautiful skies, as a matter of fact. Uh, the sunsets were purple and red and yellow and on fire. The clouds would catch the colors every like it's